Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I apologize for this heat. Uh, we have an incredible custodian here named Isabel, and every few minutes this morning, she would pop in here and check and say, basically, it doesn't seem to be working quite the way it should. So she is working on it, um, and we are going to be okay. But thanks for sweating it out. I think we all want one of those cups of cold water from the gospel reading today. And kids, today I'm going to be talking about Psalm 139, and I'm curious if any of the kids here remember a picture book called Runaway Bunny. Has anyone ever read that? Or parents? Yeah, I see some hands. I certainly have. Well, if you know the story of Runaway Bunny, there is a bunny that keeps running away to different places, and then a very resourceful mother rabbit who runs to those places right after him. And this psalm is kind of like that. And so to our kids, I would like to invite you to think about what is the farthest away place you can imagine. And then imagine yourself going there and imagine what it would be like to be surprised to find God even there. And you might want to draw a picture of what you're imagining or you might even want to write your own psalm. And today's going to begin our summer series on the Psalms that shape us. It's a crowdsourced series of sermons on the Psalm throughout July and August. And we asked all of you to send us Psalms that have been meaningful to you for whatever reason, in whatever season of your life. And then we preachers have had the privilege of starting to talk to you about why these Psalms are meaningful to you, what the story is behind it. And it's actually really appropriate for the book of Psalms because this is a communal prayer book. The Psalms are prayers, and they were written and arranged in order, arranged to be prayed liturgically together in community, just like we do here every Sunday. And throughout the history of God's people, whenever they were wandering in the wilderness or celebrating a festival or remembering a key event from their life together or climbing up the hill to Jerusalem, They would come together as a worshiping community, and they would communally pray the psalms. Each person would come into that community bringing their own history, their own story, their own relationships, whatever they were worried about or regretting or grieving or rejoicing in, and they would join their voices together and pray the psalms together. And Jesus grew up praying the Psalms this way, even as a little boy, hearing them prayed by his community before he could even learn to talk. By the time Jesus was an adult, his whole vocabulary of prayer had been shaped by these Psalms prayed by his community. So much that we actually hear Jesus throughout the Gospels quoting the book of Psalms more than any other book of Scripture. He even cries out from the cross with a psalm. And this week's psalm is Psalm 139, and it was suggested to us by Elena Schlickenmeyer. And what I love about her choice of this psalm and why it's meaningful to her, that feels so fitting, is that her appreciation for this psalm actually started with a sermon she heard about it about a decade ago. This psalm first impacted Elena in the voice of someone else in her community, someone else praying and interpreting this psalm as part of this gathering of worshipped people. And that's what the psalms have always done. That's how people have always connected with the psalms. And Elena 
some of you know her story, but she came to this country as a Russian refugee, as a child. And like a lot of refugees, her life was marked by a lot of striving, a lot of hard work, a lot of loss. And when we've been through that kind of trauma, and when we've worked that hard just to survive, it can actually be really, really hard to claim and pray the truths that are in Psalm 139. To pray to a God who knows me, a God who actually seems to want to know me, to enjoy knowing me, a God who is paying attention to me, who sees me, who is so attuned to me. And in my conversation with Elena about this psalm, she said, no one ever asked me who I was except God. No one ever asked me who I was except God. And of course, God doesn't have to ask us who we are. He already knows exactly who we are more than we know ourselves. And yet we remember in Genesis 3, God knew exactly where Adam was in the garden, and yet he still asked, where are you, after Adam had sinned? A God who already knows us still seeks us. He still asks us. He still addresses us and invites us to enter into conversation with him. This is what we call prayer, and the Psalms train us in this conversation. And this is also how Eugene Peterson talks about the Psalms. There's a little book called Answering God, and it's probably my favorite book on the Psalms, and I've read a lot of them. And in this book, Eugene talks about the Psalms as our prayer answers to a God who is asking and interrogating us. He writes, These prayers don't seek God. They respond to the God who seeks us. And these responses are often ones of surprise, because who expects God to come looking for us? And they're sometimes awkward, because in our religious striving, we're usually looking for something quite other than the God who has come looking for us. God comes and speaks. His word catches us in sin, finds us in despair, invades us by grace, and the Psalms are our answers. And Psalm 139 is a wonderful answer. It's a really wonderful place to begin our exploration of the Psalms. If we imagine God asking us, who are you? Then Psalm 139 answers, I am created, I am seen and known and loved and chased and led and held secure. My life is the place where God dwells and where God acts and moves. I can't even begin to fully understand myself, but God fully understands me. So I want to listen again to just a portion of this God knowledge. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Indeed, there's not a word on my lips, but you, Lord, know it all together. You press upon me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. 
It is so high that I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make the grave my bed, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand hold me fast. And this language is so beautiful. Like all of the Psalms, it's poetic because these are poems meant to be sung. They are beautiful. And when we want to be seen by God, and we want to be in his presence, and we want to be known, this beautiful language is enormously reassuring. When we're lonely or scared or in deep pain, when people are lying about us, when someone else gets credit for our work, when we are wrongly passed over or ignored, it is enormously reassuring to pray these words about a God who sees. But the problem is we don't always want to be seen like this by God. This kind of scrutiny, to be seen through and through as we really, truly, completely are, is actually a little terrifying. Sometimes we actually want to escape God's presence Sometimes we're afraid of what his gaze is going to reveal in us, or we're angry that he can see it. Sometimes we just want to be left alone. Sometimes, like the psalmist, we want to tell ourselves, surely the darkness will cover me. Like a toddler playing hide-and-seek, we sort of imagine we can just stand behind this curtain, and if we shut our eyes really tight, maybe God won't see us. We just want to hide. And the prophet Isaiah described that in the reading a few minutes ago, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the glory of his majesty. But this psalm doesn't allow us that fantasy that we might be able to hide. It confronts us with the reality of this God who really, truly knows everything and sees everything about us from whom we cannot hide. This God who, when he asks who are you, already knows full well all of the answer. But the writer of this psalm knew that as a fearful reality. It was King David. It says there right there in the subheader. And King David was a great king and warrior and poet and a shepherd, and he killed Goliath. But he was also a greedy, lusting, covetous sinner who took another man's wife and then had that man killed. David knew what it was to flee from God's presence and to hide in the darkness. And yet this same David wrote most of the Psalms in Scripture, more than anyone else. David had formed this habit of turning to God even when he most wanted to turn away. He had learned that when he could not flee from God, he had to flee to God. And there he could confess and he could find refuge in the only truly safe place in the universe, the love and the grace of this all-knowing God. And one thing I learned this week is that some Jewish interpretive traditions actually hold that this is a psalm of Adam, the first human created. 
and that it was passed down orally through generations in the worshiping community, and it was finally written down by King David. Now, to be clear, there is absolutely no way to prove or know that, and I'm not claiming that this tradition is correct or accurate, but it is a wondrous thought to imagine that, to imagine the very first human being marveling in prayer at his createdness, and then to imagine this same human when he has sinned and he is hiding and God is asking, where are you? realizing that he has nowhere to hide, and then discovering even when he has been cast out of the darkness and he is trying to scrape out a living in this unforgiving wilderness, realizing that God is there too. God is still with him in his new life. We don't need to know whether this psalm originated with Adam or with David, to know that there is nowhere Adam could go, and there was nowhere David could go, and there is nowhere we can go, and there is no sin of ours so great that we can outrun God's voice and God's presence that are chasing us. And so this psalm actually calls us to enormous trust that this God who sees us and who made us, this God that we cannot hide from, that he is safe and good and merciful and just. But fortunately, that is the whole testimony of the book of Psalms. It's the whole testimony of all of Scripture. The Old Testament resounds with this reassurance over and over that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And that love finds its fullest expression in the life and death of Jesus. Jesus lived the only life that could withstand the gaze of this all-knowing God. And then he took God's judgment on human failure on himself when he died for us. And as our reading from Romans earlier made clear, this abounding love of God for us in Jesus is ours through faith. And that means we are entirely known and seen, and yet we are miraculously entirely safe. We are, as the psalmist says, held fast. God's seeing and knowing of us is full of grace, and we have nothing to fear. And this is the posture by which we, God's people, move through the world as ones who are radically safe and loved in God. And you might have caught when we prayed it earlier, there is this abrupt change at the end of this psalm, starting at verse 19, where we go from basking in the wonderfulness of God's creation in us and his knowing, and then we ask him to slay the wicked and to make our enemies depart. And commentators have tried for ages to kind of explain this away and say, well, maybe this is like a copying error and this belongs with a different psalm and it accidentally got like pasted in here because it doesn't seem to make sense. But you actually don't have to live in the real world for very long to realize this makes complete sense because the world is a broken and hostile place. It is an unforgiving wilderness sometimes a place of enemies and accusations and wilderness or and wickedness even in ourselves 
We need to pray all of those assurances of verses 1 to 18 to get through it. That's what it means to borrow from last week's gospel reading, to go out into the world as sheep among wolves. But in this world, we can also pray without fear the final lines of this psalm. Search me out, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my restless thoughts. Look well whether there be any wickedness in me. And we know full well God will uncover plenty within us. And yet we can trust full well this abounding grace that is ours through Jesus. So in a moment, Katie is going to lead us in a sung version of Psalm 139. And I would invite you to use this as a time of examination, to invite God to examine you to whatever degree you feel that you can right now. And the melody for this tune is a little bit complex. Katie has tweaked it for our singing. But I would invite you not to feel the pressure to keep up, but to just listen and receive the words of this psalm, to pray with them, whether silently or aloud, and to just invite God's gracious gaze upon you.